Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing Monday, Thursday of Holy Week, exploring the John and Exodus passages. Our prophetic guests this week are the Reverend Marlene E. Forrest, who is the priest in charge at St. Philip's Episcopal Church in Northside, Richmond, Virginia. Marlene serves as the co-chair of the Commission on Ministry and is a member of the Ministry for Racial Justice and Healing in her diocese. She is also a contributor to the book Preaching Black Lives Matter and serves as the National Youth and Young Adult Chaplain for the Union of Black Episcopalians. And the exceptional Tamara Plummer, who is a cradle Episcopalian from Brooklyn, New York. She is currently a program officer in the U.S. Disaster Program at Episcopal Relief and Development, where she leads the Episcopal Asset Map Project. And last but not least, the Reverend Moki Hino is priest in charge of Church of the Good Shepherd in Wailuku, Maui, a congregation who has its roots in workers in the cane fields of Hawaii. Prior to attending seminary, Father Hino was an elementary school teacher in Guam, Hawaii, and Japan. Welcome, friends. Welcome, everybody. It's so great to have you here. I'm so excited that you could join me and be with me today. Um, I guess I want to just go around for this first question is, what do we need to keep in mind uh, Holy Week this year? And Marlene, why don't you start? Holy Week. Thank you for having me. I'm excited um, to be participating again. Um, I think the one thing that, that I am encouraging myself and my parishioners to do during this Holy Week, during this season of Lent period, is to be more in prayer, to go into our prayer closets, our war rooms, our secret places, and to really develop a deep relationship with God. And leading up to that time where we, in Lent, where we get to Holy Week, to really, really be even more intentional about prayer um, during that Holy Week so that when um, it is time for the resurrection. We are ready for it because we are we are prayed up so much so that the devil has no opportunity to get in to any bits and pieces of our doubts um, in who who we are and who Jesus is. So being being really prayed up, being prayer warriors, being prayed up, and and knowing who God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are during the season of Lent and during Holy Week. Thank you, Melky. Um, I, I think it's an opportunity to take something on rather than give up something. Um, I, I encourage people to take on the presence of Christ. And so, um, I, I'm going to invite people to do what I have been invited to do by my spiritual director, which is to have a picture of Jesus somewhere prominent and to say good morning jesus when i wake up in the morning and good night jesus when i go to sleep at night just to invite that presence in i um i think it's also an opportunity to take in and appreciate creation um i i don't know where tamra lives but i i do know that um where marlene lives because i've been there is really a beautiful place lots of opportunity to take in rivers mountains hills skies and you know i have the same opportunity here and i i think it's also a really good time uh during holy week to focus on possibilities and and what what we can evolve into in the midst of this pandemic because what i'm seeing is not so much a lot of people getting stressed out about church but a lot of folk being really creative and taking advantage of evangelism opportunities uh, because we do virtual worship uh, here in maui Uh, we we have participants who watch our worship every sunday on uh, youtube and facebook live from michigan new york 
uh, all up and down the West mm -hmm. Coast, the Philippines, Japan, Guam. Uh, so we've really cast our net wide. And I think that's a wonderful silver lining in the midst of this cloud. And I think that's what Holy Week is all about. Awesome. Tamara? Yeah, I'm going to go real practical. I think we have to remember that we have been changed and will never be the same. Um, mm. And so I really like that hymn. But um, we have gone through trauma. We are going through trauma and we will continue to be going through trauma when Holy Week happens. It'll be our second time doing that. And I guess it's just my disaster brain. But <laughs> um we have to remember how trauma impacted those who wrote the Bible, but also how we are interpreting and reading these stories that we might know in our bones because we've been reading them since we came out the womb um, or hearing them since we were born. So, yeah, this I would say for those, it's a good time for those who have been out there, who have been doing the evangelism, who have been working hard to get in a closet and pray and try to rejuvenate. And for those people who've been sitting on the sidelines, watching other people work hard to, to get their energy up, <laughs> to start engaging with the world um, again, and to figure out what resurrection looks like for them. Hmm. So typically, I know when I was younger, I used to think Monday, Thursday was Monday, Thursday, instead of Monday, <laughs> Thursday from the word for mandate. But anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, for a lot of us, it's a time, you know, like we're foot washing or, you know, sometimes we really focus on remembering the Eucharist and they might do it in some more um, very out there way. What liturgical suggestions do you have for Monday, Thursday this year? I still want people to engage in foot washing, to be in your homes during this time wash your if you have an elderly mother or father living in your home wash their feet if you have children in your home wash their feet and allow them to wash yours i think the most moving experience that i have ever had on a monday thursday or even in church was one uh monday thursday where i had the privilege to wash my mother's feet that is an experience that I will never forget. And it just harkens back to that, that woman who came with tears and washed Jesus's feet and then anointed his feet with oil from her alabaster jar. I want people to continue to do that. You can do that in your home. You got water, you got towels, do that in your home. And, and it, it will bring, I think, such deep, deep meaning um, for this particular time when we need to be thinking about how do we serve other people? That it's not just about us, 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 and what we want and what we need. It's about how do we serve other people and how do we honor those people who we love and how do we honor people who make it really difficult to love also? Um, <laughs> so yeah, just, you know, keep washing feet. And, you know, I've encouraged my, my, um, my vestry how are you going to get your hands dirty for God? How are you going to get your feet dirty for God? And when you do get dirty, who is going to be there to wash your feet and to wash your hands because you have honored God in the work that you have done? So do that. Wash those feet. Wash those hands. Wash whatever you need to in order to draw yourself closer to who God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are. I mean, I live in Brooklyn, New York, so there is no nature out here. But I'm thinking about what the... What would what would foot washing look like when you said you said something about service and it and the whole point of that story is just like um, the first time I ever really understood why the heck the foot washing happens was I was watching this very older lady in church. We were washing each other's feet and so the priest washing everybody's feet and just the care that she took yeah. with like each toe. She to like this person every toe and the person was starting to seize up because it was just so much love and I'm wondering about the ways that we can overwhelm people with love that requires them to re realize how loved they are and so even if it's not a foot washing what's the way in which you can like get in the grit of someone's toe symbolically or realistically to to connect with them that way Drop some cookies at some people's doors or something. I don't know. 
but how to get people that like vulnerable love was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you really love me. How does how does that happen on that day for people? Hmm. I've I've always joked that um, you know because everyone's um, um, hyper aware about COVID and and the issues of sanitations and things. I've always joked that we should just hand out Purell and wash everybody's feet with Purell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, what, what, <laughs> and sanitize while you walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> but when when I think about the foot washing, um, it you know they always we 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 focus a lot on on you know Jesus taking his robe off and and kneeling down in his humility. But I I it always strikes me that it it takes also a lot of humility to have one's feet washed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how, how do we allow ourselves to be ministered to so that we can go out and minister? And so I think it's, I think it's important to really take a look at the humility of the washee, I guess, um, <laughs> well as washer. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's what strikes me and that's, that's what I want to do in terms of my my preaching for Monday Thursday, but also to to invite people to to take a look at how they have metaphorically washed the feet of others during um, during this really challenging time. You know, whether it means uh, watching the news and and um, being being in a in a mindset of forgiveness and compassion rather than judgment and condemnation, uh, whether it's getting vaccinated, whether it's putting on a mask, you know, all all these um, new things that we're being invited to do that are really outside of our comfort zones. Because I'm sure that it was definitely outside the comfort zone of the disciples to have their foot washed by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Can we just add to the party part of it? Like, I remember my best Monday Thursday was the first time I was at the cathedral in Vermont and they did their, the, you know, the agape type service. Like, just gather with some people who are in your pod and have a party and then transition to the death part. That's fun too. But like, <laughs> if you <laughs> celebrate a little bit. And 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 break bread together with some with your safety pod, even if it's quarantining for two weeks, so that you can build your safety pod. I don't know, but yeah, I just want to be with people on Monday Thursday this year. I always think of Monday Thursday as like the it should be like the church's day for diabetic awareness because of <laughs> so many of our of our communities, at least in our people of color communities, diabetes is such a problem and. You know, diabetes often affects, the, it affects their feet. And so that foot washing is actually oh. a whole reminder that we need to take care and proper foot care for diabetics. And mm. I remember doing that for my grandma a lot. Like I'd wash her feet for her and massage her feet because she had neuropathy and diabetes and stuff. And that's always where I kind of think about it. And of course, you think about pedicures and stuff too, because, mm. you know, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think Wednesday is a very busy day. The, the Wednesday of Holy Week is a very busy day for everybody who gets their feet done. Um, so let's shift and talk about, about the passage that talks about that, the John passage. So um, what kind of stands out for you as you read as you read that passage or reflected on it? For, for me, I think I spoke to that kind of in the earlier question about just that, that notion of becoming empty enough to have somebody wash my feet and then you know how uh, i i you know i live in a very um asian culture which um in in many ways uh engages in a lot of self-deprecation you know like um they they say you have to ask somebody three times before they'll say yes and all those kinds of things um but just just that notion of allowing ourselves to to be served and i i I tell a lot of folk in in the well the three congregations that i've served in hawaii sometimes the biggest gift you can give somebody is to receive their gift and i 
I often wonder um, what what that notion would be like if we extrapolated that into our relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I look at folk and and um, and I say, you know, I know that you're very desperate for the presence of Christ in your midst, but do you also understand how desperate Christ is to be in relationship with you? Mm. And that's that's um, that's a real stretch in the mentality for um, for folk where I am, because there there are a lot of feelings of um, unworthiness. It feels like you're talking a lot about that section, and uh, that always annoys me when they read it. I want to skip over it about um, Peter, like, wash my whole body, wash my feet. I don't want to be washed. You know? um, just there's some kind of transactional nature that in that when when we don't think we're worthy, it's like, well, I have to have enough to give back or something. I don't know. There's something transactional and problematic in feeling unworthy um, because I. God just loves you. You don't have to do something for it. You don't have to get your whole body washed. You don't have to, um, yeah. But the thing that was standing out for me this time reading it was the piece about um, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So maybe this is connected to that worthiness. He knew from whence he came and he knew to whom he was going. Hence, Jesus did not feel unworthy or problematic in engaging that vulnerable kind of love. Um, and so what would it feel like for us to know whose we are and who, and who we are in that way is what was coming up for me. And then to sort of operate out of gratitude for that and, and, you know, focus on our salvation. Um, I think that would be a wonderful offering to God. Yeah, I think, and I think that I, that trans almost transactional nature that you're talking about, you know, when, when Peter not not realizing that he was enough just because he was loved by God. And mm. how many of us feel that way that, oh, God loves me just the way I am. God loves me with this, you know, bad foot and this, you know, gray hair and you know, all these, these, these flaws that I see in myself, when really we can go before God in all that we are flawed and messed up and whatever, whatever we think we are in our own heads, liars and sinners and everything else. And God loves us anyhow, because we are so much more than we see. Yeah. And God, God's eyes are just you know, God, God perpetually wears rose colored glasses when, when he looks at his children, um, because he sees the, the, the magnificence in all of who we are. And for Jesus to, you know, wash Simon Peter's feet, knowing that he was going to be one of those that was, and now Jesus, who, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> You know, that he, you know, those people who make it really difficult for us to love and for Jesus to still say, you know what, I know what you're going to do to me, but I love you enough to wash your dirty feet, to do like um, Tamara was saying, to to be like that mother, that, that, that sweet, sweet elder lady, to wash every nook and cranny of those feet, even though you know those feet are going to walk out and betray you. Mm. I, that, that for me is beautiful. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could do that? We could, you know, say, okay, let me, you know, wash the feet of those people who were part of the insurrection. Oh. Let me wash the feet of, you know, the, the people who are killing our brown and black brothers and sisters. Mm. Maybe maybe that washing of the feet will, will open us up to loving differently and open them up to loving differently. How can we love as Bishop Curry talks about all the time, loving beyond the limits of, of who we are and who they are that wouldn't this world be what God wanted to, wants it to be if we would do that, but we don't. And sadly we don't. And how can we move closer to that beloved community? Like, and do those things that are hard and difficult in this ugly messed up sinful world. 
I just had an image of police officers and Black Lives Matter protesters watching, washing feet on the... <laughs> yes. Of the yes. maybe, you know? Yeah. That would be... That would make a great icon, actually. Insurrectionists <laughs> and BLM protesters washing yeah. feet. Yeah. yeah. What... Um... That was one of the questions I have is like, metaphorically, whose feet should we be washing? And I think you kind of touched on that. Um, so I'm going to switch and, and to a different one that I had, because you kind of touched on this too, is in what ways do we as the church, or maybe do we as individuals betray Jesus, or maybe betray mm. Jesus's commandment? In the West Indian prayer book, in the confession, there's the, you know, I um, it's going to escape me now because COVID brain, but uh I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I have loved. And then it says, I have not loved myself as I ought. Mm. And I'm convinced that anytime we are not engaged, the whole commandment in this whole evening, like literally beginning is love. The end of this, this reading is love is to love. And I, I've, I'm coming to realize that when I do not love myself, I'm incapable of doing anything kind <laughs> or generous, truly generous to other people. I might do kind and good things to other people, but just I can't love them until I'm really good with me because it means that I'm good with God. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, to answer your question, uh, Shaniqua, it's if, if we're all one in the spirit, um, then I think we betray Jesus when we see ourselves um, set apart or um, above um, others. And, and then the irony is that um, when, when we engage in mar marginalization, that we become marginalized because we put ourselves outside of, outside of that group. You know, it's, it's sort of the mm -hmm. whole paradoxical nature of, of the thing um it's so hard to be a human being sometimes you know? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it just, and so i'm i'm you know i'm struck by 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 this conversation and um yeah how how in spite of that yeah we're we're loved unconditionally um, yeah that that's how i would answer that I, I, going back to what both of you have said, you know, how do we betray Jesus in, in our every day by not loving ourselves enough so that we can love other people enough? Um, just, you know, when we marginalize other people, when we other, other people, um, mm -hmm. when we don't see the value um, and people, just because they are children of God, no matter whether we like them or not. Um, and I, I think we betray Jesus like his brother disciples did when we don't listen. We don't listen to what other people really and truly have to say um, when they share bits and pieces of themselves and we just cast those bits and pieces off into, you know, the, the abyss, like it doesn't matter when it, it does matter. What people say does matter. Um, it's a part of who, who they are and it's a part of, of, of their entire being because they are enough and because they are loved by God. And when we don't do that, we, we're betraying Jesus because Jesus did do that. He sat down and he listened to people and he talked to people. And we know he, he ate with all kinds of people that we probably wouldn't dare to go out and sit down and have a meal with today. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, we're driving by and we're locking our door because we don't want those people to jump in our car. Um, but when we do that, that, that's almost a betrayal of Jesus. When, you know, we could not lock the door. And we could reach out a hand and say, you know, we don't have anything to give to those folks. We could say to the, say, let me pray for you. Or here, you know, here's, here's a blessing bag. Here's a 
bottle of water, whatever we can do if you know, when we do those things that are not of God, not of Jesus, then that's when we betray Jesus and even in the great and in the small. Um, and so just, you know, being more like Jesus and when we're not more like Jesus, that's when we're betraying Jesus. And so we've just got to be more like Jesus. Can I just give one quick concrete one? We've been portraying, betraying Jesus by not listening to our communities in this time of being away and being concentrated on getting back to worship and not getting back to Jesus and getting back to ministry because our empty buildings can be safely open for ministry Mm. and for mission. And so that is a betrayal. I try not to get in trouble. This is just my words. I'm speaking on my behalf. Mm. (laughs) Amen. I, can I piggyback here? Um, Marlene was saying, she, she said words matter. And, and I, I really, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, but I, I, I'd like to expand on that by saying, I think words have a physiological effect on us. Hmm. And when I say harsh words, I feel them in my body hmm. than when I hear loving words. And I, I think it's interesting that we're, we're using the word betray because, um, I'd like to turn the notch up a little bit because all these examples that we're we're offering, I think in addition to betraying Jesus, we're also crucifying him. Hmm. I've talked about that before. Yeah, we're we're crucifying the Christ that we're called to see on the countenance of in the faces of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Right, right back to the baptismal covenant, mm-hmm. and that breaks God's heart. Oh yeah, that breaks it breaks God's heart that we, His children, would betray and crucify His Son over and over and over and over again. I don't want to break God's heart. That's my father. That that's my daddy. I don't, you know, and I, you know, I'm a daddy's girl. I do not want to break God's heart. I do not. I don't, I, I, I do not want to break God's heart. And so therefore, you know, I've got to live my life as one who is not a betrayer and a crucifier. Thank you, Moki, for that. That, that is just that image of, of, of me personally being the crucifier that breaks my heart. And if it breaks my heart, it breaks God's heart. And that, that, that is a, strong and deep image. Thank you for that. But also crucifixion, not just as individual choices, but as institutional choice. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me. I did this bad thing today or I didn't love, love the way that Jesus loved, but also I'm a part of an institution that sometimes chooses safety over Mm -hmm. another choice um, or institution over God's mission. So what are the ways that we as an institution are also limiting ourselves? Yeah, I think about that sometimes when I think about like the institutional church and how much we sort of resemble the how they talk about the Pharisees <laughs> and how like we as the institutional church can be so similar. And then sometimes I wonder too about like, you know, Judas kissed the cheek and like are some of the things that we do when it's just more for show, you know, like if we're like, oh, you know, like we're going to, I can't remember what it's called, like Lady Bountiful. We're going to go do this thing here and everybody look at what we're doing and we're just like kissing the cheek without actually having it be substantial or long lasting, right? What do you think are some examples or things we could be doing um, to live out this teaching on the foot washing or live out this teaching of the love others as, as we know, where are some things, some places where you think you've either seen it happening or where um, you think we could, we are called to do? I, I would put a little bit of a spin on that. I, I would actually, you know, because we're so down on ourselves, you know, um, and, and I would invite people to reflect on where they've already done that. Hmm. You know, you use it as an opportunity to affirm. Okay. Um, because I, I think, you know, I can, I can think of the folk in, in the kitchen here in Maui who cook meals and hand out masks uh, to people who are living on the streets. Um, 
you know, going, going and um, we, we flash up a pastoral care prayer list once a week and, um, you know, praying for folk who are in need. I, I'd, I'd like to, yeah, I think, I think we have to focus on how we're already doing it and then build. Hmm. Um, otherwise, I, I would just be like all defeated, like, oh my gosh, there's so much work to do. Um, <laughs> I, I do think there's a lot of people who have been working super hard. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of ministry leaders in our work, um, the Episcopal Relief, we're doing all these emergency grants, and there are these people who have been running food pantries with less staff and like trying to figure out how to get through with more need and less um, resources and all this stuff. And those folks are so tired. And so what they could do is rest. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other people. Sorry. Go to the other side of the lake. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, like go, go up in the mountain. What it, wasn't that the reading recently where Jesus went and healed people and this is like went away to the mountain. Like go to the mountain, go find your resting place. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of other people. And they have just been having committee meetings about what to do. (laughs) And so I would just encourage all the people who have been in meetings about what to do. Just to, like, I don't know, do something. (laughs) Yeah, I was so glad today. We had snow here in Richmond, Virginia today. And we um, have what's called our St. Francis Food Pantry that runs every other week for um, our brothers and sisters in our neighborhood. And because we had snow, we had to cancel the food pantry. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad. Cause like um, Tamara said, my people are tired. My people are tired because we've, we've been doing the food pantry since the pandemic before it, but you know, all through the pandemic. So I'm glad that they had an opportunity to have some soul rest um, today, but, you know, getting, you know, thinking about what are we already doing? Like Moki said, we're already doing these things. We're already going out. We're, we're, we're marching and we're giving out masks and we're feeding people. Okay. So now how can we grow what we're already doing? We're, we know we know how to do it. We're good at that kind of stuff. What can we do differently? My church just got a grant. My my food pantry just got a grant for three thousand dollars to enhance what we're already doing. So you know we're already washing feet. So what else can we do as we wash those feet? You know, can we have a clothes closet during the food pantry in order to make sure that our bodies are warm? What, you know, what can we do to enhance those things instead of reinventing the wheel and sitting in a committee meeting and figuring out what we can do um, with this and that and the other um, to just and, and be intentional about what we're doing? This is what we are going to do in order to take care of our brothers and sisters who need to know that they're loved and they're enough. You know, does that mean we give out hand sanitizer? Does that mean that we um, offer up our church buildings that are that are sitting with our doors closed to do vaccines and blood drives and and COVID testing and all this stuff? What are we doing with, with what we already have, what we're already doing, like Moki has said, and we enhance it and we make it even better to the glory of God? Hmm. I think I think I think a lot of us, like um, Tamara said, we're we're doing it, we're doing this stuff. So how can we do it di- do it differently or do it better? Well, and I think I think what this conversation I've I've never never thought of it in this way, but maybe Monday Thursday is about stewardship, and you know we've we've been we've been given um, so much grace and and for many people abundance. And and how are we sharing that? Hmm. Practicing gratitude and sharing. Yeah. Mm. I'm wondering about like keeping in mind that like Jesus washed Judas's feet and Jesus Judas was at the Last Supper. Not that these are bad things, but like who is missing from our table? Who who needs a seat at our mm. metaphorical table? Or who are those folks, do you think? Congress? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my goodness. You 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 can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's missing from the table. We just decided to go and make our own table. Like, you know, you go to a family picnic or a family gathering and there's the main table. And then the cousins that don't really like whoever cooked the meal go off and take their own little meal plate to the corner. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm wondering who who's brave enough to sit at the table when you don't like nobody mm. that's like who are the people we that 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 have decided to get up from the table um and and chosen to not be a part of the table and then who are we actually keeping out i think there's a lot of folks we actually are keeping out in some ways mm. but i'm i'm done fighting to to try to like radically change anything these days <laughs> i'm gonna like what's our low-hanging fruit right what's, <laughs> What's the lowest hanging fruit to to win today? So who got up and left the table that I could be like, hey, I haven't seen you. Or I haven't talked to you. Or I haven't been in relationship with you in some loving way in a while. And I just wonder how you're doing. You know, what you're saying, this this reminds me of um, years ago, we had a we had a big family party for um uh, my auntie and uncle had had a 50th anniversary. And so all, all of us cousins were sitting, you know, kind of at the kid table and having such a good time. And there was one cousin who was sitting with her parents because there wasn't enough room at our table. And somebody came over and asked me to give up my seat and go and sit with the older folks so that the cousin could join the crowd. And um, I, your story just reminds me of that. And there's got to be a sermon in there somewhere. I'll, I'll figure it out one of these days. But uh, Or we can eat on our laps and then everybody could sit at the table. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you could have just moved over and made another seat. <laughs> but that, that just makes me think, who, how can we give up? some of our seats at the table that i think that's so that, going so that others can can sit you know and and that's that that is the story of black and brown and tan people of the world that there are people who are what i like to like to call are in perceived power um that are not giving up their seat at the table for those of us who need to be at the table um, and so how, how do even some of us, how do some of us kind of step back and, and let somebody else sit at the table in the seat that we've been occupying for, you know, 40 years? I've been, you know, the head of the usher board for 40 years. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's somebody else who wants to do that. But how do, how do we do that? And how do we convince those who are sitting in those perceived seats of power? to give up their seats to those who are just waiting to be invited to come and do God's work, to not, not be, not be Christians, but to be followers of Jesus. And how do we, we give up those seats and invite them to come in and do that? You know, you know, I, I said the other day in a meeting, you know, I have my fingers in everything in the diocese. Maybe I'm not the one to do this right now. Maybe there's somebody else that needs to step mm. up and to do this. Um, I'm not always the one. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think the realization of that is, is big, that we aren't always the one, that there might be somebody else who can do this just as well as I can. It may not be how I would do it, but they can still get the job done. So how do, how do we, how do we play some musical chairs? When's the last time anybody played musical chairs? Let's and play the, some musical chairs. Because you don't have to leave the room when you play musical chairs. No. You you're, just, you're, you're just leaving the power seat of the table. Doesn't mean that you leave the room. You can still give your advice. Yes. I think that's something we should keep in mind as churches. I think... I don't know if it's that way as much anymore, but sometimes like to get on the altar guild or to get on whatever, there's like those people who hold it. <laughs> how do we, well, you know, some of the smaller churches, I was like begging people to learn how to do the altar guild stuff. Cause there's like one person who did it. And she, uh, she was 
getting older and couldn't always do it. I, I mean, I don't know how much longer she'd be able to do it, but I think how are we letting that go? And I think in Lakota culture, we talk a lot about in leadership and as terms of like, you do it because it needs to get done. But then all that while you're supposed to be training and lifting up someone else mm-hmm. to replace you right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's kind of how that works. Um, the, the goal anyway. I'm going to shift gears uh, and I kind of want to move us into Exodus. So in the Exodus passage is sort of the passage about the Passover and um, putting the the blood on your lintels and the doorposts. How do you reconcile the God, that God, right? In that story that's coming to killing the firstborn with like the Jesus God that's very much like love, 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 love. The Bible's written by people (laughs) and uh, they're working out different stuff about God. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've learned that in seminary. So I'm, it's not my opinion. This is according (laughs) to the biblical scholars. Uh, Actually, right now I'm taking a trauma in Bible class. And a lot of what we just talked about is how trauma impacts our desire to be chosen and connected to other people. And so Jesus is offering a connection that's about love and and kind of sacrificial love with each other. And then I like to think of the people in the Old Testament Exodus story. These are oppressed people who have been conquered by a power that is greater than themselves. And what love looks like to them is to finally be be on the winning side of loss. Mm. That they are chosen by God and that now they won't lose when, when the bad thing happens. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that the Egyptian children die. But we just need to know who's telling the story. Mm. Someone said once that like the the stories in the Bible tell us a lot more about ourselves than it does about God. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there's so much specificity in this story? Like they're like eating in a rush. Um, and God says, like, eat it all, but then he knows we're not going to listen or she knows we're not going to listen. And so they said, um, gives instructions for what to do when we don't eat it all, right? <laughs> and then there's another one where it's like, there should be one sheep to a family, but we know that there might not, but if your family doesn't work that way, you can be, you know, two families. It was like, God's giving instructions, but then telling us how to break that at the same time. But it's very specific. Doesn't it feel like COVID policy? <laughs> <laughs> God, God knows that if, if God does not break it down like this, we are not going to get it right. Hmm. Like you said, we're going to do what we think we should do because we think that we are smarter than God. And so God had to say, look, let me gird up your loins, get your, get your meat together. If you don't eat it all, you got to burn it. And, you know, so God had to break it all the way down to the nth degree so that folks would get it right. Because if not, they would, they would, you know, we take, we take latitude. (laughs) We'd like to take latitude and, you know, change, change, you know, poetic license and, and all kinds of things. And I think God knew that if, if God did not, be as specific as God was that it was going to be a hot mess, a hot mess. Also, sometimes I would really like clear instructions. Like I'm in a place where I would love to know that somebody else has all the rules and then they would just tell me, okay, at 8.05, wake up Tamara and then go wash the dishes. And (laughs) There is something kind of freeing about the specificity. Uh, it doesn't require me to, I know I, what steps I have to do and when I'm being forced to be in relationship with my neighbors now. Cause I only, I'm one person in my household, so I better get to know the other people on my floor and share my lamb. Like there's all these things that are very clear that are helpful. I think in the, mm. the clarity of instruction, somebody else got it and I don't have to create the system and then implement the system. I have one job. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at this through the lens of. I was an elementary school teacher before I went to seminary and, um, you know, not, they were, I was taught, taught over and over again about task analysis and, you know, all these things and how, how to break things down into very simple, basic instruction. But then I had to demonstrate and model it. 
and and maybe maybe that's what this is an invitation to do to 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 take those really basic instructions and then go out there and model it. Um, hmm. it, it, it maybe it's an invitation to walk the talk. Yeah, I like that. And and we know we know how difficult it's been for our our folks to be virtual when they're so used to the structure of church. Um, and so, you know, we, we get to church at 1030 and we have, a, you know, the opening prayer and this happens and this, and we have the confession and, and we just go through the, the liturgy. And now it's like, well, this is going to have, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, so that, that structure is, is important to God's people. <laughs> It's important, and you know, Moki, I was a, I was a teacher too, and kids like structure. Kids like to know, okay, recess is at eleven forty-five, and it doesn't vary. And then after that, I'm going to lunch. And so, you know, we 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 like that that structure, and to be, you know, um, like Tamara said, to tell me tell me what I have to do at this particular time. And so I think okay. I think God God. No, I was just, when you were saying that, I was like, then it becomes embodied, kind of what Moki was saying, like, if you have that clarity, then you can get it embodied. Because remember, this is the first time that ritual is happening. Hmm. And so they it's not something they know how to do. True. And now they know how to do it for generations. You know, right. <laughs> they don't have to remember something. Where do you see yourselves in the Passover story? Sometimes I see myself in the part where he uh, says, and this because I'm going to say he because they refer to God as a he in this part, but like the, you will eat hurriedly and you, you like you tie the thing around your waist and you have your staff in your hand. Sometimes I feel like that's my life. Where I'm just like everything, I feel like I'm rush, 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 rush. And I just have to remember to like kind of take a chill pill. That's where I feel like sometimes, at least right now, I feel like <laughs> with COVID, that's where I feel like I am in that story. You know, where I feel it is yesterday I went and I got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And um, I, I feel like that's the, the blood on the doorpost. Hmm. I would like us to get to a world where um, not only does everybody get the vaccine, but where everybody has their blood on the doorpost so that nobody is excluded from that, um, that saving grace. Hmm. In, in these times of COVID, I, I really do feel like I am girding my loins and putting on my sandals, putting on my sneakers to go run someplace and, you know, staff and collar and stuff in hand, you know, to, to go and do so. I've I, I just been girding my loins a long time <laughs> during, this, during this pandemic um, and just feel like, you know, for me, that that's kind of that's kind of where I am. OK, I'm going to going to gird it up and go out and do what I think God's calling me to do right now. And, you know, if, if, if that means, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn and going to do a funeral or, you know, whatever it is, being on the phone all day long, talking to my elders, then, you know, that's what, I, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm girding myself up in the word and prayer and, and all of these things in order to be prepared for all that the world is going to be throwing at us in this crazy COVID time. If I'm honest, I am the granny who's sitting in the house hoping that somebody puts some blood on my door because I haven't left <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Slavery was not that bad. I've been okay. Like, and I'm just hoping I make it through whatever this is. Like, mm. um, I think I'm just tired. Like I've been in this apartment for a long time. So... You know, I'm on that privileged side of the uh, of the sad side, you know, <laughs> of the Israelites land. And so um, I don't know. I feel like I'm somebody living in the 
Pharaoh's court, who is a Jew, um, wondering if I should put the blood on my door or not, because then everybody will know. Or if I should just be okay with what I got. Mm. And not go into the desert land and take that adventurous trip. And the risk. And the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What parallels do you see between the Exodus story and today? And Moki, I really liked what you said about um, the vaccine and comparing that as the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. Some of those people that are dying in the Exodus story are the privileged, like it doesn't have a class distinction, right? It's just anybody who's not in this chosen group or who hasn't put the blood on the door. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of how the the vaccine, the the virus, the pandemic has felt. Like you don't know who's going to die in some Mm -hmm. ways. and while there are certain classes and for certain groups of people who clearly are highly more impacted than others, you know, I've, I've heard stories of people who are strong athletes with great hearts who now have chronic diseases for the rest of their life mm-hmm. and people who are chronically ill who have gone to the hospital, gotten sick, and they got better. Um, there's this kind of unknowing in the Exodus story that I feel like is happening right now. We don't know who's, who's, who's the target <laughs> Who's going to be the loser? Who's going to be the winner in this story? There's no, I don't know. There's some things that we are supposed to do. There's some instructions, but there's no clarity of results. Hmm. I have a seminary classmate who lives in Michigan, in Western Michigan. And I like to go visit her every once in a while. And she, she said, don't come here right now. And I said, oh, yeah, because you guys have a lot of COVID cases. And she said, no, because you're Asian. Mm. And that that was very, very sobering to me. Um, and so I, I think um, uh, there, there is COVID, uh, and I don't want to discount that. But I, I think that this... Exodus story is speaking to us in the context of our political climate right now. Hmm. I don't quite know how because so much is unknown. Yeah, I'm. Um, I I have never ever felt unsafe traveling to the U.S. continent, and I do now. Hmm. You really got me thinking on this and, and Moki and even um, what Tamara said in this, this time that we're, we're living in, what are we willing to risk in order to be Jesus followers? What are we willing to risk to be people who are going to say they're going to get the vaccine? What are we willing to risk to say that we are going to be people who stand with those who nobody else stands for? And in all of that risk, there's this exodus uncertainty of, okay, God is promising us some stuff. Mm. I don't have any clue what you're promising me, God. So I'm, I'm following you. This is blind faith, but I'm willing to risk everything because I know that you are a God of salvation and love and, and, and all of these things, but what, what am I willing, willing to risk in it all? Am I willing to go and stand up for what I believe or am I just going to not risk it and sit back like Tamara was saying and not put the blood on my door because I don't know who's going to see it and who's going to come after me. I'm not going to go to Western Michigan because I don't know who's going to see me and come after me. But what are we really willing to risk in order to make some of those declarations and to, to live in, live into the uncertainty we are living in, in a world of uncertainty right now. And so if we're living in that, that, that this world of uncertainty, 
what are we holding on to? And, and I think about that when I, I think about my enslaved ancestors and the uncertainty that they lived with, but they were willing to take all kinds of risk to go to those hush harbors and to praise God and to do all kinds of things that they knew that Massa didn't know they were doing when they were singing those songs and hoarding the, that food because they know, knew that they were going to live. They were living in this uncertainty, but they had this deep, passionate faith to take the risk that God was going to do great things and promise him, promise us so much. And even if they didn't see the promised land, like our brothers and sisters in Exodus, they were praying for their children and their children's children and the generations that were going to come, that things were going to get better. And so what are we willing to risk in all of this? But Rev, can I push back a little? Sure. Absolutely. I like pushback. Yeah. So my thing is, what what are we risking for God and what are we risking for our own ego? Mm. Right. So, so when is it, when is it that I'm, going out in the streets and chanting and singing loud because it's what God is calling me into. And when would it have actually been better if I had just gone to the committee, the, the city council meeting and voted against another gentrified building being built? <laughs> like, right. um, or like what? Yeah. Like Moki, don't go to Eastern Michigan and <laughs> end up having a, a hate right. crime against you, but also like, Maybe there's another thing I can do. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm wondering about folks who are risking and doing these hard things, and it's not actually for the mission, for what and, God is calling. And that that's one thing, you know, um, Tamara, that I, I really had to, when I first came to my congregation um, here in Richmond, there was such unrest here in Richmond, Virginia. And I was going out and I was marching and praying and things like that. And my congregation was like, now does she expect us to be out there marching? And going out there? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and I, and so I had to say to them, wait, what's God calling you to do? Mm. What is God asking you to do? Maybe he's not calling you to go out there and to, to, to march maybe he's calling you to go into your prayer closet and to pray for those folks who are out there. Maybe he's calling you to get a, a, a case of water and take it out there and then turn around and go back home. Mm. What is God's calling you to do? He's not calling us all to do the same things. Um, and so don't go out there and do something you know, crazy because you think God is calling you to do it. No, let's be sure about what God is calling you to do. And I had to tell my congregation, no, I'm not expecting you to go out and do what I'm doing, but this is what I believe God's calling me in this particular time to do. But I do ask that you pray for me while I'm doing it because I'm praying for you while you are figuring out what God is calling you to do. Hmm. Which, which then also reminds me, don't be the person that's running the spit to cook the meat getting the dishes together, putting the blood on the door. Like that's not one person's job (laughs) to to do all those things. Just so you know, it's 75 degrees outside right now. I am not going to Western Michigan. <laughs> As we're wrapping up, I have just a, one question. Towards the end of the Exodus, it says, uh, this day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. What is something in your life that is a that you will remember that's happened recently and that you would celebrate as a festival to the lord something you want to lift up here's what i would say there is a celebration of black women in a way that has been lovely mm. and i want us to remember that <laughs> mm. i want us to remember the ways who who were the actual power changers in our time um, and the ways in which I'm really obsessed with Ella Baker right now. 
And why I'm obsessed with Ella Baker is uh, kind of like Stacey Abrams and all these people. These are people who are deeply rooted in faith. And they're not the top of the list when we say leaders of movements or leaders of change. Um, But they got the leaders ready. They did the Mm -hmm. groundwork. They did the meetings. They did the hard stuff. They licked the envelopes. (laughs) They swept the stairs, whatever it was. And so I'm just trying to remember all the people that do those little actions or even big, large actions that don't get seen um, and how I want us to figure out how we honor and ritualize those folks. Um, yeah. So I think for me, my, 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 the one thing that is uh, helping me to gird my loins every week and to, to celebrate is every Wednesday at noon, I have what's called the circle of love with my elders of the church. And we have noonday prayer and talk about deeply rooted in faith and loving Jesus beyond what any of us could ever imagine. These people who are between 75 and 95 get on this conference call every Wednesday without fail to praise God. And, it, it, and I tell them every week this that you are filling my cup. When I feel like I can't go on anymore, this is what fills me up and allows the overflowing of God to happen. And that, that, that for me is this festival, this celebration that, that I want to remember over and over and over again. And I share that story with whoever I can because that's that's what we need to be thinking. That's that's who we need to be. We need to be these people who are so deeply rooted in our faith and our love for Jesus that when we are a hundred years old and we don't we don't have anything else to hold on to but Jesus, then that that's you know that's what we're doing. That that is my festival. That is my my celebration time. You know to to, to thank those elders and to sit at their feet and to hear the stories that they tell about life and what they've gone through and how God can make a difference in our lives if we just have a little bit of faith. I, I think we have the benefit of, of being on the other side of this story and knowing and understanding the outcome. And, and I think that gives us evidence to... Um, live into our own stories without knowing what the outcome is going to be and then and then to go to go back at different points in our lives and um, be evidence of how we've been supported and taken care of um, in times when when we we didn't have any proof that that was going to be available and I think um, if if I can get to that place, um, I will be less cynical and pessimistic. Um, not only not only about my life or or the political climate, but also the Episcopal Church. Hmm. I I think that we we have an incredible witness to offer as our branch of the Jesus movement to, to possibilities and, and good things. Um, just look at this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, look at, look at what you do with EYE. Um, look at, look at what we do with Episcopal uh, Relief and Development. Um, look at how inclusive and how committed we are to inclusivity, um, not only racial inclusivity, but also, you know, in terms of sexual orientation and, and these things that we've we've embraced along the way without any guarantees of specific outcomes, but just stepping out of faith because we believe that's the right thing to do. Hmm. You're reminding me though that they were if you has if y'all have been to Jewish Passover, right? Like it's fun. And that yeah. you're saying this uncertainty and this 
in this journey that is uncertain and probably going to be difficult. And it's a good time. (laughs) And so there's something about how do we have a good time even now, right? (laughs) Well, and, and yeah, if, if I could just, you know, just say, how do we embrace joy? Yeah. And do, do we, can we help each other remember that we're called to joy? Hmm. And, yeah. the, and the joy is ours and nobody can take that joy. Mm. It's our personal joy and nobody can take it away. No man, no woman. It's our joy. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be here. And I appreciate your time and your wisdom and your prophetic voice that you shared. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Marlene, Tamara, and Moki. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Phoebe. If you heard something that caught your ear today, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine. For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now, more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund. Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash Good Friday Offering or text GFO to 91999. Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.